Ladies and gentlemen, and those of you who are neither, do you ever long for a little more adventure and mystery in your life? Are you hungry for tales of mean streets and double-crossing dames? Well, don't touch that dial. You've come to the right place. From your current home in the golden age of podcasts, we'll bring you back to the golden age of radio for the first installment of a new series of peril and excitement. Empress of Landings Productions is proud to present radio's hottest new detective, Jack Cassidy P.I., and her thrilling adventures in Hard Boiled. Packingtown, Edmonton, 1936. Not the sort of neighborhood you would visit for a pleasant holiday. Not the sort of place where you'd expect anything pleasant to happen. But I was called in to help when Packingtown was graced by an unusually unpleasant visitor. Murder. Well, darling, are you coming to bed? Just a minute. I could have sworn. What? Odd. It sounded like someone was walking around in our front yard. Probably just a squirrel or a magpie. Oh, I suppose. <gasps> Come on, dear, it's late. I have to be at the plant first thing tomorrow morning. There, there. Didn't you hear that? I didn't hear anything. The wind, perhaps. Oh, well, you're probably right. Of course I'm right. <laughs> Oh, don't fret that pretty little head of yours. What are you afraid of? Prowlers? Drifters? Cat burglars, hmm? No, you're right. I'm being silly. You worry too much. This is a very good neighborhood. Nothing at all to be frightened of. Jack Cassidy, Detective Agency. Yes. Yes, certainly. Yes, right away. Who is it? Well, of course, I understand the gravity of the situation. Yes, yes, I'll explain the gravity of the situation. No time for dilly-dallying. Yes, I know. Yes, it is a very grave situation. Yes, goodbye. Phew. Let me see if I have this right. There's a grave situation somewhere? That's the tune as I heard it. I also seem to have heard something about right away. I took the liberty of booking you for the afternoon. Given that, as the mistress of my calendar, you knew I was unengaged? Given that, as the only two people who work in this office, we both know you haven't seen hide nor hair of a client in four days. Oh, yes. Well, where is this grave situation? Packingtown. You know the Willoughby Meat Packing Plant? Not to shake hands with, but we nod cordially when we pass each other in the street. Well, apparently last night the fellow who owns it received some sort of anonymous letter. Doesn't sound very grave. In which the letter writer threatened to murder his wife, and it was also bunged in through his window at midnight tied to a brick. Ah. I gave Effie a succinct lecture on the danger of burying the lead and set off at the address she gave me. It was a towering old pile along Villa Avenue, the strip they call Robber's Roost. It looked like just the sort of house that would be perfect for a man who'd made his millions in the meatpacking industry, and I reflected that it was lucky for the house that just such a man had found it to live in. When I arrived, there were already three cops standing around underneath the shattered window, muttering to each other about whatever cops mutter to each other about. Hiya, Jack. Might have known I'd find you poking your nose around here. Morning, boys. This is a bit of a disappointment. Here I was, thinking I'd been called in special. Now I find Mr. Willoughby already had half the police force sniffing around before he summoned me for backup. Well, hold off before getting your nose too far out of joint. Willoughby didn't call us. No? Nope. Neighbor heard the crash and phoned in about a disturbance. We've questioned Mr. and Mrs. Willoughby, but we ain't got much out of them. Apparently neither of them like cops too much. Well, who does if it comes to that? Gee, thanks, Jack. I always love these little chances to shoot the breeze with you. 
You and me both, Sergeant. Ta. I rang the doorbell and was admitted by a lugubrious sort of butler character who let me upstairs to a study where Mr. Willoughby was waiting behind a desk. A private investigator, sir. Ah, Jack Cassidy, are you splendid, splendid? Come in. Thank you, Hobson. That will be all. And thank you, Detective, for arriving so quickly. Your secretary, I trust, gave you a brief outline of the state of affairs. Some kind of threatening note about your wife chucked through your window, she said. But we didn't get much beyond that. Were either of you injured? Mr. Willoughby? You're a woman. <laughs> You're not a man at all. Well, now, I don't know why you bothered calling me in here. With deductive reasoning like that, you could put me out of business. Well, I, I beg your pardon. I, in Henderson's directory, it just says Jack Cassidy, P.I. A childhood hypocrism for Jacqueline. The directory charges by the letter, see. And when you came in, I just saw your hair, and I thought that... Oh, uh, what they call an Eden crop. I'm told it's still the height of fashion in Paris. And, well, you are wearing a man's suit and trousers. Am I? Well, I'll be damned. I knew there was a reason my petticoat felt like it was getting all bunched up. There is no need to be pert. You're simply not what I was expecting, that's all. I seldom am. Look, Mr. Willoughby, if it's a question of my credentials... No, not at all, not at all. In fact, you come very highly recommended. I only... Well, I was only a little taken aback, Miss Cassidy. It is still Miss Cassidy, I take it. <laughs> Jack will be fine. Well, uh, Jack, <laughs> please forgive my rudeness. But isn't it all that I doubt your capabilities? In fact, I think you'll be just the woman for the job. Well, I'm glad to hear it. What exactly was this note you received? <clears throat> See for yourself. Attention, Mr. H.L. Willoughby. You have thus far proven reticent to acquiesce to the peaceful demands of the workers' union, and we feel that it is time to progress to stronger measures. We suggest you try to see reason soon, if you value the life of your wife. Note the hammer and sickle at the bottom. I do. Oh, oh, excuse me. That's all right, Dorothy. Come in. Come in. Dorothy, this is Miss Jack Cassidy. She's the private investigator I've hired. Jack, this How is... do you do, Miss Cassidy? Oh, I'm so glad you've come. This has all been so frightening. Nothing at all to worry about, Miss Willoughby. I'll find the delinquent who's been threatening your parents. My parents? Miss Cassidy, uh, may I present my wife, Mrs. Willoughby? Nothing at all to worry about, Mrs. Willoughby. I'll find the delinquent who's been threatening you. <clears throat> uh, can either of you think of anyone in particular who might especially want to hurt you? Hurt us? No, no one at all. I can. Peter Johnson down at the plant. He's been the primary instigator of all this union nonsense. The things he goes around saying about me are well known. Oh, Horace, I know you're not always popular with those silly unionists. But to threaten murder? Dorothy, the man's an out-and-out -out Bolshevist. Once they've fallen under the power of the Red Menace, they'll stop at nothing to achieve their ends. And everyone knows Johnson moves in Bolshevist circles. Either of you know this Johnson fellow personally? I've never met him. Neither have I, hardly. Oh, I know him by sight, but I don't know that I've ever spoken to the man. I don't really like to be directly involved in the day-to-day -day business of the plant. Bit messy when you get up close. Not really my responsibility. Of course. It would be silly for the owner of the whole plant to spend any time.
time on the kiln floor. Dangerous, too. Dangerous? Oh, I wouldn't say dangerous. Of course, if you're a careless sort of man, it might be easy to lop off an arm or fall into it, rendering that. But only if you aren't paying close attention. It's really quite safe 90% of the time. Maybe 85. And yet they want to unionize. What? Nothing. Any reason why they might be targeting Mrs. Willoughby in particular? The better to get at me, of course. Why, it's common knowledge how devoted I am to my lovely wife. I haven't been so weak as to give in to any of their absurd demands, but I suppose they mean to frighten me into caving by threatening her. I see. Well, I'll check out this Johnson guy. Any idea where I can find him? Haven't the foggiest idea what hole he crawls back into every night. But if you wait a moment, I can look up his address for you. Oh, thank you again, Miss Cassidy, for taking this on. I can't tell you how much safer I feel. I hopped on the streetcar to the other end of town to the tumble-down old shack near Fort Road where Johnson lived. It was a grim little hovel, certainly the kind of surroundings that might inspire someone to want to seize the means of production. Yes? Jack Cassidy, P.I. I'm looking for Peter Johnson. Is he around? No, my husband is at his work now. Mind if I ask you a few questions? All right, come in. I am Katya, Katya Johnson. You are with police? No, I'm just a humble private investigator. Say, that's quite a shotgun you've got hanging up there. Ah, my grandfather's from old country. I keep it always over the mantelpiece, as he did. Your grandfather's name wasn't Anton, was it? What? No, it was Boris. Why? No reason. Where I grew up, deep in the Russian countryside, we had good reason to always have a gun close at hand. Here it is not so likely that I may wake up to find a bear at the window. (laughs) But old habits, as they say, die hard. Well, you never know what might wander up from the river valley. Mrs. Johnson, I'll get to the point. May I ask if your husband was home around midnight last night? Midnight? No, he was not. Any idea where he was? At work, most probably. That late? At the plant, they are working 16 and 17 hour shifts sometimes. His schedule is not always regular. I do not keep track. We sleep in separate rooms, so he does not disturb me when he comes in. And if he was not at the plant, he was at one of the meetings of his society. What society is that? Is my husband being investigated for something? Somebody threw a brick with a threatening note attached through your husband's boss's window last night. And you think Peter is responsible? That's what Mr. Willoughby thinks. I don't know what I think yet. Does it sound like the kind of thing your husband might do? I honestly do not know. I wish I could say it was not. But of late, I feel I do not know my own husband any longer. He stays out so late, even when he is not working. He seems to be throwing his whole self into the cause. It is as though nothing else matters. Communism? I know you will think it is a wicked cause. Well, I don't know. If communists don't want to be forced to work 17 hours getting limbs chopped off and falling into rendering vats, uh, that doesn't sound like they're doing the work of the devil. Do you know Marx, Miss Cassidy? I really enjoyed duck soup. Back home in Russia, I have seen what good ideas can do in the hands of bad men. My husband is a good person, a noble person, but I believe he can't become carried away by his ideals. I hope he is innocent. 
I do not think he would ever willingly harm another human being, but I cannot be sure. Jack, Cassidy, Detective Agency. Me, sweetheart. Listen, you might as well pack up and head home for the night. I won't be back till late. I went to the meatpacking plant to tail our prime suspect after he left work, and it looks like he's planning on having a night out on the town. Where are you now? Phone booth on Jasper on 101st. He's standing outside the Hotel Selkirk. Looks like he's waiting for someone. Seems like a strange place for a bunch of Bolsheviks together. Mr. Willoughby called looking for you an hour ago. Yeah? His wife was planning on going out with some friends tonight, and he wanted you to follow her to make sure she stayed safe. I don't know if she's left yet, though. Oh, uh, okay. I'll hurry over there, see if I can catch her. Oh, wait a second. <gasps> what is it? Well, there's a car pulling up outside the Selkirk. Seems whoever our friend Johnson was waiting for has arrived. There he goes to open the car door and... Well, I'll be damned. What? Looks like I won't need to leave to find Mrs. Willoughby after all. She's there? With Johnson? Do they know each other? I'd say it looks like they know each other extremely well. Gosh! They're going in together. Right, I'm gonna see if I can get close enough to hear their conversation. Bye-bye, Angel. The head waiter at Johnson's Cafe knew me and was kind enough to set me up at a table for one behind a handy potted palm. From there, it was easy enough to keep an ear on Mrs. Willoughby and Mr. Johnson at their evening rendezvous. I don't know. I don't like it. What's to like? You don't think he suspects, do you? You mean us? No, I, I don't think so. This business of hiring a private detective? A perfectly natural response to receiving a note threatening to kill your wife, I should think. But why not go to the police? Darling, he hates cops almost as much as you do. Only he just thinks they're all in the pockets of gangsters and bootleggers, he says. Funny that. I would have thought they'd be in his pockets. Anyway, he already suspects you of trying to kill me. Surely it would be absurd to simultaneously suspect you of having an affair with me. You're sure you don't have any idea who might have thrown that brick? Well, I can think of any number of people who'd gladly lob a missile through your husband's window. I just can't see why any of them would have the slightest motive to target you. I can think of one Bolshevist who might have a motive. Who's that? Mr. Peter Johnson, of course. Don't be absurd. You know how you get all wild when you're jealous. I can just see you, sitting alone, picturing me in bed with Horace. And suddenly you're overwhelmed by passion, and all at once you're... It isn't funny. You may joke about how wild I get when I'm jealous, but I can't stand it much longer. The thought of you with that filthy capitalist swine... My dear, Horace really isn't nearly so bad as you make him out to be. He can't help that he's 58 and married to the woman you love. Maybe not, but he can damn well help the way he runs that plant to his. Oh, don't! Let's start talking politics, please. Don't speak to me as though I'm rattling on about something that doesn't matter. Dot, you have the luxury of not giving a damn about politics. You've never had to work for anything a day in your life. And as long as you stay with that tyrant, you never will have to work for anything. Angel, people are looking. If you don't want to talk about politics, suppose we talk about the real reason you won't leave Willoughby, eh? You're afraid. Afraid? Come on, Dorothy. You love me, don't you? Of course I do. Well, then you're right. Damn Katya, and damn Willoughby, too. Let's go. Right now. Go? Leave. Now. Come away with me. Tonight. 
We'll hop on a train to Ontario and start a new life together. <laughs> Don't be silly. Why? Why is that silly? Do you love your husband? You know I don't. You feel any loyalty toward him, hey? Any guilt about what you're doing with me? No? So what's the problem? You're talking nonsense. How would we live if we simply ran away tonight? Work, of course. Find jobs, support ourselves. You wouldn't mind that, would you? Come on, take my hand now, and we'll go running out of this joint and down to the train station. You're mad. Maybe I am. Wild with jealousy, just like you said. Dorothy, I'm telling you, I can't bear the thought of you with him any longer. I can't, I can't bear it. I'd kill him and catch you too sooner than spend another night apart. Keep your voice down and stop being so ridiculous. Look, I love you, all right? That's what matters. That's all that matters. Is it? Because when you're done here tonight, and they've cleared away the plates and snuffed out the candles, you're still going back to him in his bed. Why should that bother you, when all the time I'm only ever thinking of you? You're never going to leave him, are you? I know how you feel about material goods, but one must be practical. There are certain things I need, darling. Things men don't have to worry about. Mink coats. Among other things. Well, I suppose that's that then, isn't it? Maybe, maybe we'd better just go. Go? I'm not, not very hungry anymore. I tailed Mrs. Willoughby closely enough to be sure that she and Mr. Johnson parted ways at the door of the Selkirk. The next morning, no sooner had I arrived in the office than Effie informed me Mr. Willoughby had been on the phone bellowing down the line that his wife hadn't arrived home the previous night. I told her what I'd seen at the hotel. And you're sure she didn't go home with Johnson? Positive. She gave her home address to the cab outside the door and it drove away. And he walked off in the other direction. Maybe they realized they were being followed. Effie. I mean, it isn't impossible you gave yourself away, is it? So young and so untender. I just tell it like it is, boss. Maybe she changed her mind halfway home. Or maybe whoever is threatening her caught up with her somewhere along the way. Damn. Well, I'll start by paying a call to my old friends, the Johnsons. She's as likely to be there as anywhere. But when I arrived, I found the house deserted. At any rate, no one responded to my knock. I waited around for a bit and was about to give up when I saw Mrs. Johnson coming along the path, loaded down with groceries. Detective! I'm sorry to drop in on you like this again, ma'am, but... If you're looking for my husband, he is once again at his work. I was just running some errands and... Oh! Oh, no! Whoops. You've got quite an armful there. Let me give you a hand. Oh, you really need not. Uh, that's all right. I can just help you get these through the kitchen and then I'll get out of your hair. See about finding that husband of yours. Well, thank you very much, Miss Cassidy. No trouble at all. The kitchen is right through here. Say, uh, Mrs. Johnson? Yes? Oh, it's gone. You notice that too, eh? I don't understand. The gun was there over the mantel when I left. Did your husband leave before you did this morning? Uh, let me think. Um, no, I left first, but he was running late. And I can't think what reason he would have had to remove it. Huh. But we had better set these down. Let me get the kitchen door for you. 
Need help? That's odd. It is stuck. There is something heavy on the other side of it. Uh, Mrs. Johnson, wait, let me... The thrilling adventures of Jack Cassidy will return in a moment. But first, we'd like to share some important information with you. Located right on White Ave and just off Gateway is a historic building that houses dozens of local Albertan artists. The Old Strathcona Arts Emporium is a space that welcomes anyone who wants to showcase their art with affordable rates and retail support. Inside, you will find that it has become home to painters, photographers, crafters, jewelers, furniture artists, upcyclers, and makers of all kinds. Within the first 60 days of being open, 50 artists have signed up to be a part of this market-style, open six days a week emporium, and more sign up every day. It is a magical place. The artists that sign up can feel it right when they walk in. And folks, they can't wait to share that magic with you. There is truly something for everyone in the old Strathcona Arts Emporium. And new artists move in every Monday. See you there soon. We now return you to the episode in progress. Is your washroom breeding Bolsheviks? I stuck around long enough to see what was left of Mrs. Willoughby carted off to the coroner's office and give my statement and then made my way back to the office to tell Effie what had happened. So Mrs. Willoughby's body had just been left on the floor? Yep. Whoever it was fired the shotgun at point-blank range and skedaddled out the back door. It had already been there for a couple of hours when we found it. And the gun? Chucked in a ditch a few blocks away. What did her husband say when you told him? Thankfully, I didn't. I called in Sergeant McGregor and his men after we found Dorothy on the floor and left the privilege of breaking the news to the cops. How noble. Well, damn it. I'd already spent 20 minutes calming down poor Katya. I couldn't deal with a businessman having hysterics, too. I'm no good at that sort of thing. Anyway, it's out of my hands now that this is officially a murder case. Mr. Willoughby won't want to keep on the retainer woman who was supposed to figure out who was threatening his wife before she got her brains blown out. Oh, won't he? Don't be mysterious, pet. I've already had too long a day. Mr. Willoughby called again while you were on your way back to the office. He wants you to find out who killed his wife. You're kidding. Nope. Says he still don't trust the police, but he trusts you. And he said you could name your prize. Uh, how about that? Uh, ring him back, would you? It's just ringing. If you ask me. I didn't. If you ask me, it's Katya. Yeah, and what makes you say that? Obvious, isn't it? Mrs. Willoughby shows up at the house. Katya finds her in bed with her husband, flies into a rage, grabs the gun off the mantle, and shoots. And then goes grocery shopping. To give herself an alibi, obviously. Did they find prints on the gun? No. Uh, whoever fired it either wore gloves or did a damn good job of scrubbing it clean afterwards. Isn't anyone picking up at Willoughby's? Nope, no answer. Well, I'd better go over there, I guess. Why would you put on gloves before committing a crime of passion? Hold the fort here, would you? I'll call from Willoughby's if I need anything. And why would Peter go into work like normal when his wife had just killed a woman? Make sure you stay near the telephone. And why would Mrs. Willoughby spend the night there when she knew her husband would miss her? And why don't I have a secretary who just does her job instead of trying to do mine for me? How deep is the ocean? How high is the sky? You know, I could be making triple what I do here if I went and started working as a stenographer somewhere or something. How long is the journey from here to a star? Someday I will, and then you'll be sorry. Oh, hi. Hobson, was it? Uh, is Mr. Willoughby in? Hi. 
I regret to say that Mr. Willoughby is only just left, madam. Huh. Any idea where he might have gone? Unfortunately not. Say, are you all right there, Mr. Hobson? You look a bit pale. I, yes, well, the news of Mrs. Willoughby's sudden and tragic demise has affected all of the domestics here, madam. I'm sure you can quite understand. Sure. You work for the family long. I have been in the employ of Mr. Willoughby for many years now, yes. But, pardon me, I have already been questioned extensively by your colleague and... My uh, colleague? Sergeant McGregor. Oh, sure, my colleague. He's been around, eh? He is here at the moment, madam, questioning one of the maids. Perhaps you would care to confer with him. Well, perhaps I would. Miss Cassidy, Sergeant. Check. You're still sniffing around this case? I'm still in the employ of Mr. Willoughby, Sarge. He has the good sense to assume the local police are likely to make a hash of things. Will there be anything else you require? No, thanks. I'll just finish speaking with, uh, Lizzie, was it? Lizzie, sir, yes. And I'll be on my way. Very good, sir. And Lizzie? Yes, Mr. Hobson? When you're done here, don't forget the upstairs drawing room wants dusting. We mustn't neglect our duties, even in the face of tragedy. Yes, Mr. Hobson. You tyrannical old coot. No love lost between you and Mr. Hobson, Lily. Jack, um, would you mind not interrupting my interrogation of a witness? I already told him I ain't seen nothing worth mentioning. But I'd be glad to do it over again with you, ma'am. If it's another five minutes, I don't have to dust that upstairs drawing room. Jack is not a member of the police service, Lizzie. She is just a woman that people pay to sniff around where she doesn't belong. Oh, sure. You're the lady Mr. Willoughby hired, aren't you? Surprised me, that did. What surprised you? Well, he ain't too keen on women who try to do men's work, is he? If you ask me, he thinks society's been going downhill ever since women started entering the workforce during the Great War. And I've heard him going on about ladies who wear trousers too. Nothing I'd repeat in front of you, but nothing too complimentary. Oh, forgive me for saying it, but you don't seem quite as broken up as Mr. Hobson about recent events. Well, sure, I'm broken up. In the sense that it's always upsetting to hear about a woman who's gone and gotten her face shot off. But Mrs. Willoughby wasn't really that friendly with the servants. And Mr. Willoughby, well, he only talks to Hobson. They go way back, those two. He trusts Hobson with just about anything. But his wife, she treated him the same as the rest of us. Beats me why Hobson's taking it so hard, if you ask me. The old codger's starting to crack up a bit. Yeah? He's been a bit odd lately, twitchy, you know. And I was just about to tell the sergeant here about what he was doing the night the brick got thrown. Go on. Jack, do you mind? Well, the sergeant asked me if I'd seen anybody prowling around the house that night, around midnight. And the answer's no, but nobody except Hobson. What? Are you sure? I think so. I just got up to get a drink of water and I thought I saw Hobson go crazy. Creeping out into the yard through the back door, just a couple of minutes before I heard the crash. Are you saying you believe Hobson threw that brick? It's the old butler did it twist, Sergeant. Hobson can't have committed the murder itself, though. Lizzie and the other servants can vouch that he's been here all day. 
Sure, I don't think he's a murderer or a bullshit wants it. I just think he's cracked. Either way, it seems like it's time for us to have another talk with Mr. Hobson. Can I help you? Yes, the name's Willoughby. I'm looking for Miss Cassidy. Oh, of course, Mr. Willoughby. Sorry, we've never met face to face. I'm Effie, Jack's secretary. We tried to call you, but we couldn't get through. So Jack just left to find you. And now here I am in her office looking for her. <laughs> Dashed nuisance. Well, perhaps I'd better stay in one place so we don't keep up this merry-go-round riding. You don't mind if I wait, do you? Oh, not at all. Please, have a seat. I'll ring your house now. I'll see if I can get a hold of Jack. Hello? Yes, this is Effie Strambitsky. Is Jack there? Oh, good. Could you tell her that Mr. Willoughby is waiting for her in her office? Thank you. Police have already been poking around my house all morning, getting underfoot and making asses of themselves. Of course, it's only a matter of time before they arrest him. I don't know why they don't get on with it. Arrest who? Why, Johnson, of course. Johnson's the man who did it. How do you know? The savage, bloodthirsty Bolshevist? I ask you, who else could it possibly be? I showed Miss Cassidy the note. I told her it was obvious who had sent it. And the next day, my poor wife turns up dead in the villain's house. It's an open and shut case. I suppose they have to exhaust every angle. Bah! Johnson's always been violent. Well, what do you expect from a man with a dirty great shotgun hanging up in his living room? The sooner he's taken out, the safer we'll all be. Tell me, Miss Cassidy doesn't have the power to arrest people, does she? No, sir, but she's lined up enough evidence to get any number of people arrested in her day anyway. Well, I sincerely hope that's what she does this time. I'm very eager to see justice done. You know, the man doesn't even have an alibi. He showed up an hour late for his shift this morning, claimed that he thought his schedule had been changed. <laughs> his schedule. Do you know what he was doing in that hour? Shooting my wife, that's what. Can I get you a cup of tea, Mr. Willoughby? Eh? Oh, yeah, yes, thank you, my dear. Very kind of you. I'm sorry to natter on at you. I... I know you don't have anything to do with the actual mystery solving. I am so deeply, deeply distressed, that's all. Of course. You never met my wife. Oh, she was a beautiful woman. When she agreed to marry me, I thought I must be the luckiest man in the world. And then that man, that communist, came along. <laughs> Here you are. Oh, thank you. May I ask you a question, Mr. Willoughby? Why, certainly. How did you know that Johnson kept a shotgun in his living room? Oh, Miss Cassidy must have mentioned it. But you haven't spoken since you went to the house. Well, uh, I suppose I must have seen it there at some point and remembered it. You've been to the Johnson's home? Well, certainly, for... Company-related reasons. It's just, I, I thought Jack mentioned you said something about never having been there before. I suppose you think you're awfully clever. Me? Typical of a woman detective, that she discuss her cases with her own secretary. And typical of a secretary to start getting ideas above her station. You must feel pretty impressed with yourself, Nessie. I was, actually. And then you took that handgun out of your pocket, and now I'm feeling pretty stupid. Yes? Well, get this into your pretty stupid peroxided head. 
Johnson's going to hang no matter what, clear? Well, maybe he didn't murder anyone, but his crimes are just as bad. Going around, sowing the seeds of discontent, stirring the pot, promoting his wicked cause. He'll hang, and then everyone will know him and his union cronies for the stupid, violent, hot-headed communist gang they are. Hang on, you killed your wife just to discredit the workers' union? In ancient Greece, adultery was a capital offense, Mitz Strembinsky. You know, the ancient Greeks did a lot of things we don't really approve of now, it seems to me. My wife believed she could make a fool of me. She thought she could have it all. A handsome young Marx reading gigolo and a doddering old cuckold to pay for her mink coats. Well, she was wrong. Day before yesterday, I asked a faithful old retainer of mine to help me play a practical joke on my wife. <laughs> he played his role admirably. Then I changed Johnson's schedule, so he came in an hour later, and the following morning, I took Dorothy for a drive. I blindfolded her and told her I had a surprise, and she suspected nothing. I'd lavished enough extravagant gifts on her over the years, and she thought this was the build-up to one more. I waited until just after Johnson had left, and I was sure the house was empty, and then I led her inside. Jeepers! I'd planned to strangle her, but I couldn't make myself do it. And then I saw the gun. It seemed like the hand of fate. <laughs> but didn't the servants notice you driving away with her and coming back without? <laughs> servants! My butler is useful in that he's loyal, but they're all blockheads, the lot of them. It takes a certain kind of person to be able to unravel the plot like the one I hatched. And that's why you didn't want the police involved. Quite. And why I was delighted to find out what kind of private detective I had hired. But now I... When Miss Cassidy arrives, she will learn that I came here a moment too late to catch the man who shot you. The same man as the police have stupidly failed to place in custody. It will be tragic for her. But I believe it will only spur her on further to see that Johnson meets his just desserts. No offense, but it seems like there are a lot of holes in this plan. But not nearly as many holes, my dear, as there will be in you. Jack! Oh, Jack! Uh, it's all right, Angel. He's out cold. I got him. Oh, Jack, I thought I was a goner. Shh, it's all right. How did you know it was him? And how did you get here so fast? I talked to that butler and some maids, and they told me enough that I put two and two together. And then, when I realized a murderer was alone in the office with the best secretary a woman could ask for, I took the liberty of a borrowing Mr. Willoughby's spare car and breaking about 15 driving laws on my way back. McGregor and his men are right behind me. Should be here any minute. Oh, Jack, I was so scared that... Th that what, Precious? That his terrible comeback about holes was the last thing I would ever hear. Well, that's that. Word is, the man stepping in to take Willoughby's place at the plant is much more sympathetic to the Unionists. All Johnson has to worry about now is what's left of his marriage. There's only one thing I regret about this sorry business. What's that? That we didn't get a check from Willoughby up front. I thought maybe you were going to say that a young woman was shot in the face. Oh, uh, that too. <laughs> well, I don't mind about the payment. I've given the matter some thought, and even if I could make better wages as a stenographer, I don't think it would be nearly so interesting. I'll drink to that. 
Say, F, I was thinking. Yeah? Well, I was a little distracted by tailing Johnson and the late Mrs. Willoughby, but the Selkirk really does do a nice dinner. It's nearly time to close up here. Why don't we go down there? And have dinner, I mean. The two of us. Oh, that would be lovely. I'm afraid I've got plans tonight with my boyfriend. You're... Didn't I tell you about him? We've only been going steady for a week or so now. He's taking me to see Camille. Uh, the one with Greta Garbo? The one with Robert Taylor. It's supposed to be very romantic. Right. Right. Well, listen, you might as well head home early and get ready. Nothing much doing here. Are you sure? Of course. Go on. Enjoy your evening. Thanks, Jack. You too. And Effie. Yeah? Um, nothing. See you tomorrow. This episode of Hard Boiled featured the voices of Karis Backstrom as Jack Cassidy, Lauren Hughes as Effie Strambitsky, Trevor Duplessis as Mr. Willoughby and Peter Johnson, Ashley Mercia as Mrs. Willoughby and Katya Johnson, Murray Farnell as Sergeant McGregor, Rory Turner as Hobson, Kate Sheridan as Lizzie, and Michael Vatch is your announcer. Hard Boiled is written and directed by Celia Taylor and edited and produced by Tegan Sagansky with an original score and sound design by Dave Clark. Hard Boiled is presented in association with the Edmonton Pride Center and with the support of the Edmonton Heritage Council, the Edmonton Community Foundation, and the Edmonton Arts Council. Tune in next week when we'll return with another thrilling installment of Hard Boiled. Oh.